1: Coming up this hour, no more masks required on planes, and then an inspiring story from yesterday's Boston Marathon. You are listening to The Common Good. Hey friends, happy Tuesday. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today on this Tuesday Hope that you are doing well, Aubrey. When we left, when we last were together,
2: yes. When we
1: left yesterday's yes. show, uh, a mere twenty-two hours ago. Uh, you were heading to the Blackhawks game, I and we were talking about game. that a little bit. You're you, Anyone who listens to the show knows you're not uh, the biggest sports fan right? in the world. You're right? not necessarily sports-adjacent, as you like to <laughs> not say. Not sports-adjacent,
2: but I told you I like the Mighty Ducks <laughs> uh, series on Disney+, Plus, and therefore I felt very prepared for this hockey game. So was
1: this your maiden voyage to a Blackhawks game, no, or has I, it been a I, while? I
2: have been to a Blackhawks game before, but it's been like I like I couldn't remember the last time I was there but I know I've been Give to Give us game your impression. Before. Oh, so fun. Great fans, great experience. I think I told you yesterday, of all the sports, if I was going to be a big sports fan, it would be hockey. I felt mm. that way most of my life. I like the speed. I like that the games aren't too long. I like that they're moving constantly. I like the fighting. I wanted more fights last night. That was a this big letdown for I, me. This
1: was the funny thing yesterday. I asked you on our way in, how would you like the Blackhawks game? You went, eh, I thought there'd be more fights.
2: Yeah, I, wa- I wanted some more fights. I mean, you
1: should just go straight to MMA, like That <laughs> should be your thing.
2: Maybe you're right. Maybe I'm thinking too small. I gotta go bigger with the aggression, and then I'll be a big sports fan. I don't fan. know.
1: There aren't a ton of fights at hockey games, but yeah, I do but like that you anymore. also said, oh, I'm a fan of the Mighty Ducks, as if that makes you a hockey fan. Well, but-
2: obvi- I mean, yeah, that's what I mean. Sp- sports adjacent. But yeah, no, we had a great time. Great fans at those games. Lots of energy. National anthem. National anthem. Everyone cheering. It's so fun. The Canadian anthem. Oh, it's beautiful. The oh, guy- they were Man. playing a
1: Canadian team last yeah, night. They you played get double the fun. last night. Fun. Yeah,
2: so that was pretty fun. Okay. Pretty fun. Well,
1: glad that you are now a sports fan
2: thank you me too i'm
1: actually tomorrow going to we my first cubs game now, of the right? year i'm excited
2: oh, that's fun yeah, do be you need fun. me to go with you to help explain things i do not okay
1: i'll be good okay i am much more sports adjacent than you are so i'll be i'll be all good all right all right all right big news in our country yesterday did you see these videos flying around the cdc mask mandate for planes uh was overturned the federal mask mandate was overturned Uh, in the middle of the day by a judge out of Florida, federal judge.
2: I heard this on the way to the game, but I didn't follow. Okay, tell me everything because I didn't follow it. So a
1: federal judge in Florida struck down the CDC's requirement that all travelers wear masks on airplanes, buses and trains, other modes of of public transportation. He ruled it unlawful, which is always wild that a judge can like unilaterally like strike these things down. But that's what happened. Uh, So it struck down the Biden administration's mandate. But it happened and immediately... Because the pla- the, many of the airlines, let's take the airlines, many of the airlines have been saying, have been begging for them to get rid of the mandate.
2: Like, yeah, yes.
1: it's not fair, it's right. hurting our business. Yeah. And so the second this thing got shut down, they all went to it. Like, it was, you started like, hearing boom, Delta, done. the American, yeah. all this. Yeah. And the videos were fascinating yesterday because literally uh, flights are in the air and um flight attendants no, pilots are no. getting on the um uh the speaker and going hey we have really good news for you blah 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 masks are no longer
2: mid flight people are taking off their masks oh cheering and Come think about this on. if you're a
1: flight attendant or a pilot you've been not only wearing these for 2 years yeah and you've had to be very vigilant, but you've yeah. also been the one having to tell people right. to do it. Put your it. Like, mask your job back is, up,
2: put your mask back up. Your, job to your nose. Stuck. Yeah, totally. Uh, totally.
1: So that would have been really kind of fun to be on one of those uh on one of those flights while it was going on. But uh, you know, there obviously there's always two sides to an argument. There were people who were very uncomfortable being mid flight, like if you were very cautious and very um oriented towards masks, maybe you're immunocompromised, and all of a sudden, they, yeah. <laughs> mid-flight, everyone's like, you could take them yeah, off. That
2: would freak you out. But most
1: people's points are, they're not telling you you can't wear a mask on the flights. They're just no longer mandated. Mask so optional. Yes. Now that I've explained this to you, this was kind of one of the last places that we had this. Right. What are your thoughts about this?
2: So, oh, this is so wild for me. So when I traveled to Seattle maybe three weeks ago, Brian, four weeks ago, it's hard for me to remember now, I, I had a mask that was really really heavy and i asked uh the the guy who was taking my baggage do you have any lighter masks this one's killing me and he was like yeah here he gave me their paper mask and then he said hey just so you know we're expecting within the next two three weeks Mm. masks are gone but i've been watching the news for that and i thought there's no way this is going to change so now that it has i actually have really mixed feelings one i'm so glad it makes travel easier it doesn't necessarily make it easier. It makes it less uncomfortable, it's especially when you're sitting at the airport waiting. I think that's when I was bothered most by masks. But I got to be honest, airplanes are kind of nasty. They're like like containers for germs and disease. And every time I fly, fly and this is like pre covid I get a sinus infection or a sore throat or a cold or something. There's a little part of me that wonders if on the plane itself, I might still wear a mask. I'm not even joking about that.
1: So ironically, uh, if you listen to most experts, they will tell you that the air within an airplane is much cleaner really? than the air because that's their business. But they you're can't next be having to people. strangers, You maybe. are, but the circulation and the ventilation yeah. and all of that stuff. But I'm just saying, you are welcome to wear the mask. But I know.
2: It's it, optional.
1: It, it, this, the White House has not given any indication of whether they will fight this. They immediately came out saying it's not in effect at this time. Like it almost is like they're like, okay whatever
2: i think it's the right move don't get mm-hmm. me wrong like you're this, just talking personally this needs to happen you're a yeah germaphobe. i'm just like i don't want to get sick and travel but i it's the right move like yep. nobody wants to keep wearing masks in travel anymore
1: so let's broaden this conversation okay. and say we are now this is almost feels like the last step towards normalcy right yeah. like this was one of the final frontiers of where uh, they were mandated, you had to wear a mask. And they said some cities you'll still be mandated on the subways or whatever else. But um, like you said, this is the next step. It feels a little bit like not COVID's not done. Right. I get that. Right. Uh, we still know of people getting it. Yep. Numbers in some cities are, you know, in different and der- arrays, Whatever. Yep. But I got to feel like we're never going to go back to the day where we're all having to wear masks. This feels like as of yesterday, something has kind of fundamentally like this was the last nail in the coffin, if you will. Don't you think I'm right about that? Yeah,
2: I think you're right about that. This feels like the the end of the era officially, Mm. because you're right. This was sort of the last uh, hand. Hold on. Hand out. Hang on. You know, the word I'm looking for. I communicate for a living. Um. (laughs) So it now it feels like there's been a demarcation in sort of the timeline of COVID. Again, we're not saying COVID, the the disease is over. But like our COVID experience as a nation has changed, Is changed. And that's good. Like, I think we all need it. We can all celebrate it. We probably need to like have a big party now somehow know. just to sort of like mark the end of the era and I hope you're right, Brian, and I think you probably are right, that there's no way we're going back. I would like, think I not. I just think the American people would lose their ever-loving minds and forfeit uh, protests, like cause such a scene if industry started going back to mask it mandates. I just don't way. think it would happen. And I'm sure the airlines are happy because they'll get more business now. A
1: hundred percent. A hundred percent. Much like the restaurants, much like the churches were. Uh, what would you say then – to the people out there who are still scared, they're like, "Oh, I I feel much more comfortable when everybody's wearing a mask." Uh,
2: yeah. Y- oh no, it's still hard for some people. It I really mean, you've is. got some health
1: issues that you've talked about openly I, on the I past. I have
2: a chronic autoimmune disease, and so I've you know I, uh, I that has been a fear of mine. I but I have again. You and I think people should do what they want to do. I have been vaccinated. I am pro vaccination, and um. That helps me feel a little safer. I I think, okay, a couple things. One, yes, like the fears are valid. We understand, and there's a lot of people that are still very, very cautious. Pregnant women are feeling very, very cautious right now. I understand that. You keep wearing your mask you if, if you need to, and there's no shame for you. There's no condemnation for you. If people look down on you, then you, know, you move on from them. I do think if there's a point where your fear is becoming um, – keeping you from living your life, uh entering into community, enjoying life, mm. you've lost in that spark for life. It might be time to talk to a therapist. Mm. It might be time to um talk to God about it, pray for some help and some courage. And and maybe take some baby steps. Like what would it be like to take a mask off and Go to the grocery store for an afternoon. How did that feel? You know, be curious about your body, how you're reacting, and take small steps just to see if you can kind of begin to be set free. But again, there's no rush. Like like Brian's saying, it's mask optional. There's grace for you. At the same time, if it becomes paralyzing, it's probably time to talk to somebody and especially, like, talk to the Lord about mm. how you can um, maybe get some perspective on things.
1: That's good. Well, it's a new day. It continues to be—it'll uh, never be fully normal, right? We're always going to be pre-COVID and post-COVID, yeah. but yeah. feels like yet another step in the direction of normalcy. Well, spring is— Slowly getting here. Slowly.
2: We're Eighty looking degrees forward to it. this Sunday. Oh, Snow last
1: night. Rain all over the place. This it's is
2: totally Chicago, Chicago Spring. This is like Spring. everything about Chicago it Spring. Is. Yeah. All in
1: one or two yes. weeks. It's here. So wild. But, uh glad that you are with us today. Aubrey, yesterday was the Boston Marathon. So uh ever do you ever long to run a marathon? No. Your husband's run one yeah, way. Yeah,
2: my husband's a kind of he's a marathon or triathlon guy, so I've cheered him on at many occasions. I've mm-hmm. I like running. I actually do run like a couple miles a day, but I am I You run a couple miles a mm-hmm, day? I do. But I have zero interest in running a marathon. I don't I don't need to do that.
1: There's a lady in our church who has run uh, a marath a sub I don't know, four hour, three hour, whatever the number of sub four hour marathon, I think, in every state in the country. Okay. And has probably run 200 marathons.
2: Come on. It's amazing. Is she, is so only in the, I mean, I'm not saying only in the country, but does she do some of the marathons, like the London or the Germany so. or whatever? So. It okay. was like
1: this goal. She's part of this group. It's pretty wow, wild. And you like that's oh,
2: amazing. I
1: mean, she doesn't even need to train. Like it's yeah, like. she can just it. Do could it. be Friday and she's like, I'm going to run on Saturday or that kind of deal.
2: Unbelievable. No, so I, I, have I have no desire.
1: Zero desire yeah. to run a marathon. Yeah. But yesterday was the Boston Marathon, which is. Kind of the one of that, and maybe the New York Marathon, many people say the Chicago Marathon, some of the most historical uh, marathons in our country. Yeah. Uh, in Boston, it's called Patriots Day. The Red Sox play at like 11 in the morning. Fun. It's a full deal. Yeah. And many of you remember that 10 years ago, or nine years ago, I think, in 2013, Isn't that I believe. Is an amazing? Yeah, 2013, wow. there were those horrific bombings at oh, kind awful. of the finish line. Awful. And uh, it... It changed not just the marathon, right? It's never been the same, but it, literally some people lost their lives. Mm-hmm. And the one of the – I almost said one of the most tragic in all of it. They're all tragic. All the loss of life is tragic. But yeah. one of the most tragic ones was an eight-year-old named yeah. Martin Richard. You might remember his face. Uh, he was just coincidentally – him and his sister and his mom, I think it was, Mm. were very close to the bomb that went off. It Mm. killed him, and his sister lost her leg as a little girl in Mm. that. Um, And there's an older brother named Henry Richard. He's now 20, but he would have been you know, 11 when this happened. And yesterday, uh, very emotionally, he ran the Boston Marathon Mm -hmm. in memory of his brother. I want you to listen to this uh, report.
0: It's so much. I mean, (sighs) I try to put it into words, but as you're coming down Boyleson Street, what yeah. is going through your mind? I mean, it's nine years in the making, so for me, so I couldn't be more happy to finally get here. What's the message you want to send to everybody? No, just, no matter what happens, just gotta keep fighting. and You'll get to where you want to go. Your brother changed the world. I know. Yeah. message of peace changed the world. How important is that piece to be spread today? It's the most important thing to me. That's all I think about this whole time. (laughs) This whole 26. And as you saw your beautiful family at the finish line, what did that mean to you? It meant the world to me that they were here waiting. (laughs) And to see them, to see Meb. It (laughs) was incredible. How proud would your brother be? You'd be proud. He'd be happy but he'd also be doing
1: it with me i mean that's just beautiful i can't
2: even hear it without crying i couldn't even hear you describe it. before we listen to that without crying it is so beautiful it is absolutely beautiful it's meaningful that this is one of those stories that you and i think we all kind of connect to because there's something about there's something about full circle moments especially for people who have gone through such pain and then doing it in a in honor of his young brother. Yeah. yeah, beautiful. And then there's there's pictures online of Henry and his family hugging. At the, I mean, the finish line, very right? Very emotional. Yeah, Yeah, as you heard beautiful. he said,
1: it's great to get here finally. It's been years for the, in the making for mm-hmm. me, so I'm just so happy I could finally be here. I know Martin would have been doing it Aww. with me. So happy to finish it. That's all I can think about. You just think about... Uh this has been all consuming for this family right yeah, and they have, yeah. they now have a foundation in Martin's name uh oh, and, that's cool i uh, didn't know that yeah and you know trying to carry on his legacy as an 8 year old it says he ran for the Mar- team mr8 uh raised money for the Martin Richard Foundation which promotes inclusion kindness and peace in Martin's legacy uh and so yeah besides it being just an emotional and an inspirational story. It got me thinking about this, Aubrey, and I think you're a good person to ask. You wrote a book on lament Mm -hmm. and the struggles of life. Uh, While this is a dramatic tragedy, uh, we all go through struggles and hardships in our life, and there is kind of a uh, a decision, if you will. Will Mm -hmm. these hardships, when we have troubles, will they fuel me? Or will they destroy me? Yeah. Right? Like, there does feel like a fork in the road. It doesn't mean he was like the day his brother died. I'm going to run this marathon. You're still crushed yes but the question becomes what do you do with the tragedies in life and how do you not move on but how do you build and maybe see good come out of that how do we even help people begin to process that
2: it is a it is a sort of a bizarre thing because one you don't ever want to rush someone's like pain or suffering or sorrow but in in some pain and some tragedy they're there does become sort of a a watershed moment in the journey towards healing where either that pain is going to keep you like locked in a prison, or it's somehow going to set you free to new purpose. Mm. And um, I really, really believe this is part of the power of God at work in our lives and the power of God uh, over suffering because of the suffering Jesus endured on the cross that Our pain can become a catalyst for some really, really powerful, beautiful things, especially on behalf of other people. You know, like this family having that foundation and even just the running of that marathon, like those are those are acts of meaning and acts of purpose in what feels meaningless and devastating. Um, There's a. Do you know that old book, Brian by Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning? Mm-mm, mm-mm. It's, it's, uh, he was a Holocaust survivor, but it is just about like finding meaning in devastating tragedy. Yeah. And humanity has that in us. And that something about that points to God. But all that to say, if you're walking through, some type of tragedy right now or suffering right now or hardship right now or you're walking beside someone who is, you know, take the time to let yourself grieve. You don't have to do much more than just be still before God and let yourself feel everything you feel as long as you need to feel it. There's no rush to get to the other side of pain. There's no rush to get to purpose. There's no rush to um, even just like get over it. Grief Mm -hmm. takes a lot of time. But grief can when surrender to God can be transformed into something really beautiful and what you might find is that in though you're still suffering and though you're still sad and though you still missed your loved one like something new is born in you like a new a new purpose usually on behalf of somebody else I think a great example of this Brian is um we've had him on the show before he's my uh podcast co-host Davy mm-hmm. Blackburn his mm-hmm. wife Amanda was murdered a few years ago and out of that, terrible tragedy, now he has this whole ministry called Nothing is Wasted, where he and his team are walking with people in their own stories of mm-hmm. suffering and pain and trying to find purpose in it. And, you know, it's it's one of those, I think it's one of those incredible things about God. We can't be flippant about it, but what we have to understand is the power of God is such that he can, like, rewrite the worst stories of our lives and bring beauty from those ashes. Yes. And that's kind of what we're talking about here. But you do make a You do have to make a decision at some point, like, Lord, I want to move forward or this is going to keep me stuck forever.
1: Yep. And we've seen people who have gone through tragedy and can't. I was watching a show the other day, uh, like a dateline or something, where a mom, her daughter years ago was murdered and she said, Finding out what happened to her is all-consuming and all that I can think about and all that I do for like 20 years, and I get that. You understand that, but then at the same time, you want to be like, I I don't know, is there some other way that you, in honor of your daughter, have to go on living? There really is this fork in the road when Mm -hmm. tragedy hits, and Mm -hmm. I feel like this is a really inspiring story of a brother who I'm sure grieves every day for the brother and the relationship that he lost, and he used it as fuel to do something in his brother's memory. So an inspiring story from the Boston Marathon. We got some good news of something going on, a great giveaway going on here at the station, because in these uncertain times, it can be hard to live with certainty. But in his book, Living with Confidence in a Chaotic World, Dr. David Jeremiah provides a biblical roadmap to living in certainty. During the month of April, you can enter to win a copy of this book along with unshakable confidence cards. Those are 10 challenges to remind us to find confidence in our Heavenly Father and stay focused on Him. And now one grand prize winner is going to win a signed, leather-bound Jeremiah Study Bible. Everyone who enters will receive the April issue of Turning Points Devotional Magazine and an instant ebook download, Of the seven signs of Easter, evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So enter today at 1160hope.com slash confidence. That's 1160hope.com slash confidence. And make sure to listen to Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah every weekday morning at 9.30 a.m. right here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. I
2: love uh, hearing about that uh, as we've been talking about it this month because there's so many prizes.
1: There really are a lot of prizes yep. there. And one person is going to win the grand prize, but everybody gets something.
2: Nice. Everybody awesome. gets this is the best kind of – that's the best kind of It kinda really AMAway. is. Yep. So
1: go ahead and, and go to am1160.com and uh, enter in. All right. I told you – and we're going to put this one up as our social media water cooler this week – Uh, But are you ready for the would you rather question? (gasps) Oh,
2: these are always so hard for me. This looks like
1: it was originally posted by a rapper, author, podcaster, public speaker, coach.
2: Wow. Okay. His
1: name is Z-U-B-Y. Would that be Zuby? Zuby? I'm going to go Zuby. Uh, at Zuby music, he wrote this, but I, and then I've seen it just sent all around. People are kind of discussing this one. So, uh, are you ready? It's a simple one. It's a, would you rather question? I'm ready. I want you to give you, I want you to give me not what you should answer, but what's your first inclination. Okay. Would you rather be 80 years old with a hundred million dollars or 20 years old and broke?
0: Uh, would you
1: rather yeah. be 80 years old yeah. with a hundred million dollars or 20 years old and broke?
2: I am. OK, I'll tell you my first instinct. But then I, I the second I thought it, I kind of like reneged in my mind. But I my first thought was 80 years old and a 100 million.
1: You did say that. And
2: I thought that because partly because I would love to know what it's like to have a 100 million dollars in my bank. I'm not going to lie. But also then you have money to pass on to your children and your grandchildren, your great-great-grandchildren at that time. And to be honest, with this pastor money I'm making, I don't know if my grandkids generation generationally are going to have the, that much wealth from Kevin and I being inherited to them. So this is my only <laughs> chance, would you rather. What about you?
1: Oh, I immediately thought – when I read this, I immediately went to 20 years and yeah, broke. Yeah, Uh Because I do think what's going on in this question is – uh, it's a little bit of what we just talked about, but it's a it's that it's that choice between time and money. Yes, uh, what yes. is of greater value to you, time or money? Because if you're 20 years and broke, you could be thinking, "But I've got my I've got 60 years in front of me to make a hundred million dollars." Chances are you're not going to. Right, you're not. Chances going to. Chances are you're not going yeah. to. So, would you rather end up with a hundred million dollars, but not have money years? But you, like yeah. you, you're clearly the benevolent one who wants to be able to hand it off. Or do you want the time? He he yeah. actually commented on his own thing. He said most people pick the latter, the twenty uh
2: right. The twenty and time. broke
1: with minimal hesitation. That says a lot about he writes this, that says a lot about the true value of time health versus mm. money and puts the value of one youthful year at well over 1 million dollars and he then wrote make sure you live your life accordingly. You know
2: what's interesting about this like I I feel like it, this would be a trickier question if it was 20 years and broke for the rest of your life because hmm. there's some potential in being 20. We were all 20 and broke. And so you feel like there's some potential like at some point I'll I'm not going to get to 100 mil but like I'll have some earning capacity I'll be fine. If it was would you rather be 80 with 100 million or 20 and broke your entire life i wonder if that would change the change the conversation at all but i did tell you i immediately answered with the 100 mil but then i did go back and i think or maybe it would be nice to be 20 and have my life ahead of me again but i only want to be 20 i want to be that that old song like i want to be 20 knowing what i know now you know what i mean i don't want to i don't really want to go back to 20 years
1: i actually think what would make this question more interesting is would you rather be 60 with a $100 million uh, or 20 and broke? Yeah. 80 feels like... I'm, it's the uh, end, end of apo- your life. My apologies to any 80-year-olds out there. 80 feels like you, health is deteriorating. There's, well, you could, 60, it feels like you could still... You could still
2: enjoy that 100 mil.
1: Correct. I still think I would choose 20. I think I would choose 60. But it's a 60. much harder question yeah it's
2: definitely it's definitely a harder the harder question so it 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 is interesting i mean i I feel a little like oh i answered wrong because it's i feel like i definitely chose money over time you did
1: here's my here what might be my favorite (laughs) response uh this guy wrote uh he wrote this I'd rather be 10 years old, going into the woods with my brother, making army forts, and setting up ambushes with fake guns and coming back home when the streetlights come on. No worry in the world except being a kid. Those were the freaking days, man.
2: Oh, that's so true. That's so true. Oh, yeah. Those were fun days. You just roam around the neighborhood, do whatever you want to with your brothers and sisters or the neighborhood kids. You weren't worried about a thing. If
1: you were 60 and 100 million, you've already chosen that. Your kids are out of the house. They're gone. Mm Uh, what are you doing with <laughs> so, uh, Aubrey Sampson, 60 years old with $100 million? Yeah. I mean, your book, you know, yeah. your, your next book yes. that's coming out that people may not know is called The Purpose Driven Something. I yeah, how yeah. The I'm ending. making
2: that 100 mil from that book, what, right?
1: What would you do with that?
2: <laughs> I feel like I think way too small. I'd probably still pay off my college loans. <laughs>
1: I think you, I think you could probably right, so do pay, that. So
2: I would pay off my college loans. Buy myself the new couch I've been eyeing for a while.
1: I I think you can afford that. I think you're thinking small. Yeah,
2: I'm trying to get a little bigger. Here's what I really would do. And my Kevin would never, Kevin would be like, are you kidding me? But this is what I would really want to do. I would want to buy a vacation home at Disney World. I would want to buy one in Hawaii or like an island type place. And then probably in like a Scotland or an like a, Northern England, something like that. And I would just want to spend my days going to my various vacation homes.
1: So I would give mine to Christian organizations (laughs) around the world who are doing humanitarian work. But, you know, I just tend to be a better person than you, at least half of it. And then maybe with the rest, I would start a foundation uh, that would help people stateside. And then maybe with a little bit that's left, I would probably start a soup kitchen uh and something like that so
2: well wow uh, you're going to heaven and i'm not obviously yeah, i would i would travel
1: and travel if i had a hundred, actually this isn't enough money but i would probably also try to I was going to say I'd try to buy a sports team, but now those cost in the billions. So
2: Oh, yeah, you would buy a sports team. I could I could definitely see you doing that. Yes, but that. after
1: I've helped all the poor people after around the world, all the
2: in I would the world. come stop
1: by, as I'm like dropping my money off at these organizations, I would stop my at your homes. decadent vacation <laughs> homes where you're just living for yourself. I would do that as well.
2: Remember how earlier I said I was doing it for my kids and my grandkids? <laughs> Apparently I'm not. I'm spending it all on vacation homes for me at 80. Oh,
0: that's really good.
2: As always, you can find and follow us on social media we are at common good talk on twitter instagram and facebook and right now we have our social media water cooler question up for the week it's a would you rather one that brian and i just talked about we want to hear from you what would you rather do be 80 years old with 100 million or 20 year old 20 years old and broke let us know and let us know why Brian, uh, you know, we can't go a week without talking about the devastating things that are happening in Ukraine. And I was over at one of my places I like to visit, Good Morning America, where they have these videos. And there was there was a viral video that actually um, obviously went viral. Mm -hmm. Good Morning America covered the story behind it. There's a woman named Svetlana Gazenko. She's known as Mrs. Lana at Oak Hill Elementary. She has She's from the Ukraine. She's Ukrainian. Dozens of family members who she talks to weekly in the Ukraine. She went into school one day, and the entire school had the, all the kids. I mean, I can't even say it without crying. All the kids in the school had painted or colored sunflowers mm. and put them up and put her family members' names on the sunflowers, and they had a big... Ukrainian flag and I mean I think she was just she's in so much pain because of losing loved ones or knowing loved ones who have lost loved ones being so closely connected to the Ukraine and so to be supported by the school in this way I thought was such a such a powerful thing let's go ahead and take a listen to part of that story I don't know what to say this is was really touchable.
0: I don't know if you notice that we even have
2: your family's names and stuff
0: on some of this. Stuff. Yeah, thank you. Like a little kids they come in, Miss Lana, you need help. We praying for you, Miss Lana. This is it was so sweet. How is your family doing? Did you talk to them? They wanna stay for own land. They wanna protect own kids. It's amazing. They're not just
2: drop and go because somebody coming with guns. So, Brian, you know, I think the question for all of us, if you think about it, this really wasn't this was so meaningful. Yeah. But really, if you think about it, it was the smallest, simplest act. Kids colored sunflowers and they taped it on the wall at their school and it's like i there's something so beautiful to me about that that we don't when we think about supporting friends who are hurting or supporting something that's so devastating like the war in ukraine you can't even wrap your minds around how to begin helping this small act of kindness and support and compassion i mean the video went viral and there's a reason for that i think it moves all of us to see that display of support It just got me thinking, like, if we have friends who are walking through really hard things, whether they're connected to Ukraine or they're going through something else, what are small ways that we can help support them? Because I do think sometimes we we get paralyzed because we think it needs to be these big, grand gestures. But what if it's sending a card? You know, what if it's sending an encouraging text? Like there are there are meaningful things we can do that don't have to be totally grand and outlandish. I think this is a really good example.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, I love that you said it's there's something about when kids do something yeah. that is so beautiful, but also um, she does a job that could be easily overlooked. Mm. Right. And I know the what's going on in Ukraine is is front of mind for people, but there's something about stories where kids and schools do stuff for the janitor or the people in the lunchroom that I just always find so inspiring because it, it's very Jesus, right, to yeah. see the people who often don't get seen. And then it, I think you make a great point. It doesn't need to be a grand gesture, right. right? They The kids didn't have to sit around and be like, well, we can't stop the war in the Ukraine and make her happy. No, but we can draw her pictures. Yeah. We can uh, acknowledge her. We can talk mm-hmm. about it. And I think that that's just beautiful. Like it's just a beautiful testament again. And I think the most important reminder for me and that, Aubrey, again, is like you don't have to be able to solve everybody's problems yeah. to do something. That's good. You can step in and just be like, hey, this I can listen to you or I can provide you a meal or as a kid I could draw you a picture to put a smile on your face. And that being seen and acknowledged can really change mm. things for people very much so.
2: Yeah, that's so good. There's actually over at the Sweet Institute, there's an article called 10 Tips for Supporting Someone Through Emotional Pain and Loss. These are straight out of things we talk about in the church all the time. The first one is the power of your presence. Many people think they have to say something in order to be helpful, but it's worth remembering that for those experiencing difficulty, they just need people to be there. And I think that's part of what, you know, these kids were just there for this woman. I just love that. Two, the power of silence. I think in the church, we talk about the ministry of presence. I would have called this the ministry of absence. What happens when you've shown up and your presence can be felt, your natural tendency might be to start talking, say something, mm-hmm. fill the mm-hmm. silence. But sometimes just being there and saying nothing is actually a really powerful thing that you can do. Um, the third tip they give, and I think this is actually really, really important, gets missed in people's grief journey, is validate. Mm. Um because you know Brian you and Carrie have gone through hard times we've gone sure, through hard sure. times people want to we've talked about this on the show before they want to somehow make it better That's for right. you and balance the scales of your grief so that you're okay but that can come across as totally invalidating yes. like that the pain you're feeling isn't helpful and so i, I one of the best pieces of advice if you're walking with someone or you're around someone who's hurting is just validate. I'm so sorry for your pain. That's it. Yeah, that's really hard. That's it. You know, that's all you have to say. You don't have to say, but God did this. So that X, Y, Z don't just avoid any of that. Instead, just like this must be really painful. I'm so sorry.
1: And don't make, this is a weird thing that we do. And nobody would ever do this on purpose. Uh, so let's see if this makes sense. Don't make somebody else's pain about you. Oh, that's good. I'll remember years ago, I had a friend whose mom uh, died in an accident and was at the, I was a bunch of us went and we were up where he, where the funeral was going to be. And we were trying to hang out and just give him like, you know, some time just to laugh or whatever. And he was just like, you know, the hardest thing people are well-meaning, but he literally said to me, he said, watch this. And we walked into something, a, a public place and a woman, because it was a smaller town, and yeah. a woman just came running up to him crying, and he kind of had to comfort her. And it was, it was, there was nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But there, in a weird way, those people who go through tragedy often have to be the ones to comfort other people. Totally. Or like you know, now in the day and age where we live, it's like I'm I I post I'm so uh-huh. heartbroken for this person, and it becomes about you. Everyone yeah. comments. Oh, I'm so sorry for your. It's not your it's loss. It's not your it's loss.
2: A, it's the person's. It's a bad loss.
1: peeve of mine. Like it's yeah. Uh, be there for your friend, yeah. for your family member, and be be silent when you need to be silent. But, you know, be genuine, mm-hmm. um, listen if they ask you for help, help. Yeah, and don't make it about yourself.
2: Yeah, I think that's a that's a remarkable piece of advice. It, one of another way I've heard this said is like you vent. Um, if you're in circles and the person who's going through the trauma is at the center of the circle, and the surrounding friends, family are outside of those circles, you vent to outward circles. That's like a you great don't one. ever vent inward to the person. You 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 grieve outward. You grieve in the outward circles because otherwise it can become all about you. Mm-hmm. Um, this is something else they're saying: use yourself, but not the moment. Don't use the moment to make it about you. Avoid giving advice. Offer concrete help. I actually think this was really helpful when Kevin's mom died, as people kept asking us how we can help. Like, tell us how we can help you. Let us know if you need help. But we were so out of it in our grief. Like, I think I remember telling you, like, I was like, how do I shampoo my hair? Like... I could not. People would say that to me, and I didn't even know what we needed. And there was a group of people at church that were just like, look, we're bringing you food. Mm -hmm. And they just – they scheduled it. They didn't ask our permission. They started bringing us meals. And it was the most helpful thing ever. Now, there comes a time when you don't need any meals and you have to say no. But sometimes just to be like, I'm sending you a gift card for this restaurant. Use it when you need to helps people like it takes the onus off of them to be the ones to ask for help you just dive right in and you help and then this one i think is really helpful to follow up I, i think this is so important when someone who's been through pain and loss you know mark the anniversary down of the date that their loved one died in your calendar in every year send a text send a card send a note that says I'm thinking about you today mm-hmm. love you praying for you that means so much to people because people who've lost someone want to know that you haven't forgotten them as right. well And I think sometimes, too, we're afraid we're going to bring up the grief again. But the grief is there for that person. Mm. And so it is it is actually an honoring thing to remember that person. Um, Brian, so in the next couple of weekends, I am leading a like a class, I guess, Mm. for a group of pastors and elders at a church. And they've asked me to come talk to them about lament and not necessarily what lament is. That's because I wrote a book on lament called The Louder Song. Not necessarily what, but how they want some like practitioner help, how to guide their own churches, small groups, those they shepherd in lament. So if you were, I need your help. okay? (laughs) Okay. I need you to do some work for me. I'll give you, I'll give you a, a. Credit in the class. I don't it. want
1: credit. I want part of the. Yeah, you're not going to
2: get. Uh, I'm guessing you're being
1: compensated for this.
2: I am getting compensated for it. You will not be. <laughs> but I will <laughs> oh, say, my wonderful. my co-host Brian Farm helped me. Um, i'll I'll bring you a I'll bring you a Dunkin' Donuts. None of that. Oh well, okay, okay. All right, I can handle that. What questions would you? What questions do you have about lament? As someone who has not written a book on
1: lament. Yeah, as someone whose book was not number one in Christian death on Amazon's list. That's, that's right. That's, that's right. Numbers one
2: me. and two, Brian. Numbers one <laughs> and two
1: on Christian death. Uh, what I would say is, what questions do I have?
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, I would at, I would ask, how long am I supposed to lament for? Ah,
2: that's good. I would good. Ask,
1: uh, how, if at all, is lament different than just sadness? Mm, yep. Is there like a more of a point to lament? Mm-hmm. Is there more of a structure to it? Mm-hmm. Uh I would ask. It's good. Um Aren't we supposed to be joyful in all circumstances? Right. So Yeah, the Old Testament has a book called Lamentations, but you know, Paul talks about, in all things, be joyful, right? Right, right. Rejoice, rejoice in the, in the Lord, Lord always. always. And
2: again, I say rejoice. Like,
1: so is it actually biblical? Right. Is lament actually biblical? Yeah, that's good. Uh, and maybe at what point have I lamented too long uh, to ask it another way? Does there come a point where I should go get professional help because mm. now I'm depressed?
2: Oh, that's now good. Now I'm
1: just, now I've got, ish, you know, now I've got bigger problems. So yeah. Uh, those are some questions yeah. that come to mind for oh, me. oh, I'm
2: typing these out. These are, are so good. These are so good. I think what most people are surprised by about lament is that lament does have a structure. Like, lament is not the same as just grief. Lament is actually the expression of grief. It's, mm. a, it's known um, throughout the Bible as an impolite plea, but lament is done through— um, just that like the verbal expression of it. it can be song it can be poems jeremiah's lamentations are five acrostic poems actually and it or it can be um even like a like a work of art can be lament so lament is not the same as just crying sitting in your grief it's actually taking all of that and expressing it specifically to God himself. Okay. And I think that's the the beautiful point about lament, is that we aren't lamenting to avoid, we're lamenting to the God who hears our laments and invites our laments. And then the interesting thing about most laments in Scripture, there are very few exceptions to this, but most laments in Scripture follow a path. They begin with the word how. In fact, uh, in in uh, Hebrew, the book of Lamentations is actually the word Icha, which is how, and uh, Jeremiah begins his lament by saying, how lonely lies the city, how like a widow she is. And then you hear David's laments are all, how long, oh Lord? Mm. And so we can begin our laments, which are, and this is for anyone in suffering, anyone in pain, anyone who is just like stuck in their hardship, lament actually is a pathway out of pain out of despair into new hope. Interesting. And so we so can. Got a purpose. It has a purpose. Yeah, it really is about connecting with God in our hardship. Because I think the reality is we think we can only bring God our praise and our adoration, and God is certainly worthy of things, but God wants all of us because God loves us so deeply that God also wants our heartache and our suffering. And so we can begin our own laments with how. Like, You grab, so one thing I did in my season of lament was like, grab a journal, wrote the word how on it, and I just began to ask Mm. God, God, how long are we going to be in this season of heartache? God, how are you going to show up here? God, how are you going to make this okay for my kids? How are you going to make this okay for my family? And what's wild to me, Brian, is I used to say, as I looked back on those how questions I asked of God, that God didn't answer every single one with a pretty little you know, package, but God answered every single one with his presence. That said, as I have looked back out of, like, we were in a major lament journey in like 2014, 2015. As I've looked back since then, God has answered every single one of my how questions with direct answers. So it's not just been his presence, it has been, but it has been faithfulness and answers. That's
1: great. I'm curious what you would say to the question of, Listen, Paul says be joyful. He was about to get his head cut Mm -hmm. off. He was about to die, and he tells us be joyful. It feels command. It's not like, hey, if you feel like it, rejoice in the Lord always. He says have joy, rejoice. Mm -hmm. He's about to die. Uh, How does that reconcile itself? Because there might be people out there who feel guilty about Uh, being sad, who feel guilty about the the idea sure. of lament. I think a
2: lot of people do feel that way. So how do
1: you answer that for people?
2: I think this is where we go back to something we talked about earlier this week, that we actually, we have got to learn to embrace the theology of paradox. Mm. There is so much in the Christian life that is already not yet. That mm. is lament and praise. Yeah. And the, the two do not have to be these opposing things. In fact, I think it is through true, true lament that we can praise God, we can rejoice in our suffering, we can rejoice when we're going to death because we have known God's intimacy in our darkest hour. And the option really is to lament to God, move towards hope, or stay stuck in your grief and your pain forever. Mm. I mean, that really, it's, again, we've talked about this on the show, like these watershed moments where you're making a choice, I'm going to run towards God with my, like, broken heartache in tow or i'm gonna pretend like it's not happening and then what that ultimately does is kind of puts a wedge between you and god because you're not as intimate with god as you could be you're not letting god have all of you so
1: it's not lament versus joy it is not sadness versus happiness and joy Mm -hmm. and you're not sinning by not being able to say God, I trust you in all of this, and right, it's good, and I'm right. joyful, even though I'm sad. Right. It's, there's This is more of a process.
2: I think one of the greatest examples of this is Jesus, right, mm-hmm. at the death of Lazarus. Because here's what we know. Like, Jesus knows he's about to resurrect, uh, resuscitate his friend, right? Mm-hmm. Jesus knows that Lazarus will not remain dead. And yet, Jesus takes the time to, like, what does what uh, Keller translates it like, he, he, Quaking with grief, Mm. Jesus is at his friend's grave, deeply, deeply lamenting to God about what his friend has gone through. And then he raises, he calls Lazarus by name. And so, Mm. what we see in the life of Jesus is that paradox, right? There is that devastating lament over death over evil but then also the joy that comes with new creation and restoration again on the cross we see or just before the cross we see jesus lamenting in the garden god or god you know i take this cup of suffering from me if you will but if you won't not my will but your will and that's the attitude that we have in lament it's that's not it's not my will but but yours all okay, right i Brian, feel like i earned me. my iced tea I will bring you an iced tea when I'm done. You're so kind of anti Dunkin'
1: Donuts, so this is this will be a big step. I'm ready to take <sighs> this.
2: I'm gonna have to drive through Dunkin' Donuts. for Can you, I just give you
1: I? a laugh? We just talked about lament and yeah, stuff. Can yeah, I just give you a quick happy. laugh? Mm-hmm. Our friend Kate Shellnut, who's been on the show yeah. many times, can I just read a tweet that you know, sometimes you? read a tweet that make you laugh out loud immediately? I, yeah, I want to hear it. It's a little irreverent, but it's Kate. She's from Christianity Today. She just wrote, "Mask mandates on planes lifted just in time for more in-flight worship services." <laughs>
2: <laughs> if you don't know what we're talking about, go back and listen to yesterday's show on good. our podcast, wherever you get your pod.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for some good news. This
2: is the end of the show, and as you know, at the end of every show, we love to bring you something encouraging, inspiring, or something to put a smile on your face. Mm-hmm. We went a little heavy there with lament, so we're going to like send you home with some good-hearted news. Over at a website called theweek.com. have got this
1: is a new website this for us. This is a new
2: website for us. This is a new place because what they do is they there's a they have a category called it's not all bad news. <laughs> it wasn't all bad exclamation point. And they put together like the best news of the week each like and it. every week. Like so this is from the week of April 14th, but they have some great stories. So I'll read the first one, Brian, and then I'm you ready. can read the next one. Okay. These first responders are now godparents to a baby whose life they saved. When it came time to choose her daughter's godparents, Katana Garrett immediately knew who to ask. Cody Hill and Jamie Rowan, the first responders who saved her baby's life. On October 5th, 2021, when she was just 25 weeks pregnant, Garrett went into labor while alone Mm. in her home in Columbia, Tennessee. Yikes. She called 911 and Hill, a firefighter, and Rowan, a paramedic, soon arrived. Everyone was amazed by the tiny newborn weighing just over one pound. And seeing her respond to their treatment gave them a little hope and we got excited. Rowan told Good Morning America that uh, Camilla Miracle Garrett, this is the baby, spent four months in the NICU and doctors said the quick actions of Hill and Rowan are what saved her life. The first responders kept track of her name is Zamyla, kept track of Zamyla's progress on Garrett's Facebook page. And since she's been home, Garrett has taken Zamila on regular trips to visit Hill and Rowan. In March, she surprised them both by asking if they would be the baby's godparents. They didn't give up, so I feel like they will continue mm. to do that later in life for my daughter. I mean, love that story. That
1: is that is the essence of the good news That's right there. Right. Uh, second story: community comes together to celebrate 106 year old's milestone birthday. Come on, I feel like at 106, every one of those is a milestone mm. birthday at that point. Uh, Absolutely. Janet Crampton has done a lot of living in 106 years. Born in Washington DC on April the 3rd, 1916, Crampton's earliest memories include when she had to stay inside because of the 1918 influenza pandemic.
0: Whoa. She
1: attended the University of Maryland and after graduating in 1937, became a dietitian in government cafeterias. Crampton married in 1939 and her new husband owned a flooring business. While he was installing floors in the White House, Come on. Crampton was able to meet First Lady <gasps> Eleanor Roosevelt. No way. At 45, Crampton changed careers and became a teacher. Today, she's as active as ever, spending her days playing cards and other games, including bingo with her friends at the Brighton Gardens of Friendship Heights Senior Living Center in Chevy Chase, Maryland, to celebrate her 106th birthday, the Brighton Gardens of Friendship Heights threw Crampton a party, inviting all her friends and decorating the space with photos of Crampton from throughout her life. Janet was tickled pink, they said in an email. (laughs) She was uh, so honored and told us she felt like a queen for the day. Can you? A hundred and six.
2: Amazing. So maybe this would
1: change your answer earlier about eighty that. years old with a hundred million dollars. I mean, if you knew you had another twenty six years. Twenty six
2: years with a hundred mil, doing pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yep. I was just thinking that. All right. Here's another one. Willow Biden, the first cat, shows off her new life at the White House. Still Wh- a cat, though. It's <laughs> still a cat. That's accurate. Willow Biden went from a Pennsylvania barn to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Monday was National Pet Day, and to mark the occasion, website The Dodo shone a spotlight on the newest member of the Biden family, Willow the cat, that First Lady Jill Biden met in 2020 during during a campaign stop at a Pennsylvania farm and later adopted. She officially joined the Bidens at the White House in January. In The Dodo's video, Willow takes viewers along as she goes about her daily routine. Which includes napping on desks, mm-hmm. staring out the windows at birds, and getting treats from the first lady. It's clear that Willow, a short haired gray tabby, has made herself right at home at the White House. That is hilarious.
1: So, from judging from her activities, she's a cat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean,
2: napping, not, not a getting special snacks. cat, she's Just any cat. old cat. And
1: you know what she does? She ignores the Bidens probably yeah, she because does. she's a cat.
2: Or she like looks at them viciously yes. because she's a cat. Yeah, yeah, she like, like sneaks up on them and scares them to death because she's an evil cat. Yeah, like yeah. she's
1: a cat. She's probably uh, pro-Putin and pro-this and pro-that because she's a cat.
2: Because she's a cat. Yep, she's All right, evil. next
1: evil. Nine-year-old fashion designer stylish looks caught the eye of Vera Wang. Give her a piece of fabric and some thread and Kaya Aragon will turn it into an outfit of her dreams. The Colorado resident was five years old when her mother tanya taught her how to sew come on when she turned seven tanya taught kaya uh, bought kaya a sewing machine and now at nine she has hundreds of thousands of tiktok followers who can't get enough of her (laughs) one-of-a-kind fashion creations kaya has made dozens of skirts dresses and tops designing and sewing them all on her own kaya finds inspiration everywhere a recent ensemble was influenced by the house in encanto (laughs) And her current project is transforming a wedding dress from 1983 into a skirt. A fan who can't wait to see how it turns out is iconic fashion designer Vera Wang, who recently commented on one of Kaya's TikTok videos. Kaya told that uh, today she was, quote, so excited by the praise. And when she realized just how big of a deal Wang was in the fashion world, I was freaking out.
2: (laughs) That is awesome. That is so fun. So before
1: you read the last one, like that one. Like, it's a really cool story, but it also reminds me of Happy Gilmore. Do you remember in Happy Gilmore when uh, Happy's grandma is in the nursing home uh, and they make uh – Ben Stiller's character is just making them do his work, and he's like, "It's like a sweat shop." I do he's not like, remember Happy he's like, Gilmore. Oh, Keep good. Going. he's like good, good news. Uh, he goes, "Oh, good news! Uh, Arts and crafts have been uh, extended by another two hours." <laughs> <using them> as, <laughs> That's like, as like a,
2: sweat labor. This makes
1: me like, all right. So she bought her seven-year-old a sewing machine. Right? Is everything for... okay at home exactly. for Kaya? Yeah. You're a little worried about
2: little Kaya. Yeah. You need I, to I, go uh, back
1: and watch right. Happy Gilmore. By the way,
2: it's been I lo- I didn't even know Ben Stiller was in Happy Gilmore. <laughs> yeah. Wow, it's been a long time. I know that little old lady though because she's in all the adam sandler yep. movies i know exactly who you're talking so, about
1: oh arts and crafts has been extended <laughs> by two hours
2: yeah it, yeah i'll have to watch that it's been a very long time all right here's the last one san francisco giants Alyssa Nakken. i think so okay makes mlb history by coaching on the field during the game Alyssa Nakken on the san francisco giants has once again made mlb history during a game on Tuesday, the Giants coach took over at first base, becoming the first woman ever to coach on the field during a regular season major league game. She did so after Coach Antoine Richardson was... Sure. Okay. You know sports. Am I saying these names, right, I don't know right, the San Francisco okay.
1: Giants coaching staff. say Coach but...
2: Richardson. Coach Richardson. He was ejected in the third inning, and San Diego Padres first baseman Eric Hosmer shook her hand as she came onto the field, the Giants ultimately defeated the Padres 13 to two. Sometimes I think we always limit ourselves to thinking what we could do. Nacken told MLB.com. At least that's my experience. I never thought that I could do something like this because I never saw it. So I think, sure, it's certainly important for people to be able to see that this is an opportunity and they can see somebody that kind of looks like them going out there and coaching in the big leagues. In 2020, Nacken was hired as an assistant under Giants manager, Gabe Kepler and, and became the first female full-time MLB That is awesome. That is awesome. Good for her. Speaking of MLB, how's your how's your baseball spring going, Brian? You're so excited about it. it seems I like am. a lot of games have been getting canceled.
1: They have, but it's all starting to turn now, right? The Mets are playing the Giants today. <gasps> My son's got a tournament oh, this weekend. Wow. My daughter's softball team is starting. So yes, this is what we like to do the in Mets the spring. The Mets
2: versus Giants is a big game for you, right?
1: No, no, it's not the New York Giants who are my favorite football team. This is the San Francisco Giants. But every game is big. I live double okay, Doubleheader today. Okay, yes, and going obviously. to my first Cubs game on Thursday. Baseball season is upon us. Man, springtime is here.
2: I'm into hockey now. You're into you've been a baseball. Like who knows what's ahead of us this spring? Hey, thanks so much for joining us today. We'll be back again tomorrow from four to six p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to the Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life.